I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 this morning. We've been teaching a series for the last number of weeks on the Spirit-filled life. I think I've sometimes called it the Spirit-led life, and really those are the one and the same things. Because you can't be Spirit-filled without being Spirit-led. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, Paul says by the Holy Ghost, he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we're going to have to accept as a, as a foundation principle that God wants us to be led by the Holy Ghost. He said, very specifically here in this verse, Romans 8, 14, that if you're a child of God, you can be and should be led by the Holy Spirit. But how much do we hear about that in the body of Christ? I can't think of anything that's more important than to be led by the Spirit of God, because if it's, if, if it's the Holy Ghost leading us in anything, then He's not going to make any mistakes. Now, we all know of things where people have said that they were being led by the Spirit, or God told them this, or God told them that, and it didn't work. Uh, one thing, uh, well, a number of things come to mind, but one of the most uh, obvious things come to mind is the guy that wrote the book about when Jesus was coming back, and he didn't come. Uh, what was it, uh, 87 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 1987? And he didn't. And so the next year was 88 reasons why he's coming back in 1988. (laughs) After that, I think he gave up on the books. But I'm talking about something that's real. God's talking about something that's solid, something that's secure, something that's stable, steadfast. So he said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, if the Holy Ghost is going to lead us, and we accept that as a foundation principle then the next logical step in my mind is we're going to have to identify how is he going to lead us. Now, folks, you need to understand that God could have set this up any way he wanted to. God could have could have said, I will reveal to you in the clouds my will for your life. And we might think, on, or he could have said, "I'll, I'll lead you by your feelings. Whatever you feel to be true, that's the way it'll be. And we may look at that and or listen to that and think, wow, wouldn't that be great? But would it? I mean, two people can look at the clouds and see different things. Same cloud, two different people, two different things. And if we're going to be led by our feelings, if the Holy Ghost is going to lead us in life by our feelings, what feeling do we go by? Yesterday's feeling or today's feeling that's different? God set this up in a specific way so that we would know what His leading is, in verse 16 tells us. Here's how the Holy Ghost leads us. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirits. That we are the children of God. In other words, if you're going to be led by the Holy Ghost, you're going to have to know what it is for the Holy Ghost to bear witness with your spirit. Now, we've been talking in great uh, great detail. Well, I I say great detail. In a lot of detail. I don't think there's ever any way you could do enough. But we've been speaking in some detail, at least, about the threefold nature of man. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. We've started with that verse most every uh, one of these services. Where Paul said, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that man is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. We've also looked at Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27 where it says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. In other words, it's your spirit that God uses to enlighten you. It's your spirit that God uses to guide your way. Well, if he's using your spirit, that means he's not using your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And he's not using your body. Yet our mind and our body are the things that we're the most conscious of as human beings. 
And so if we're going to find the leading of the Spirit of God, we're going to have to know how the Holy Ghost leads us. We're going to have to know to discern the voice of the Spirit within our own spirits. And that's the real rub. That's the, that's the issue. Uh, I started to say that's the difficult part. It's really not difficult if you know what to do and how to develop yourself, how to develop in spirit. But it's difficult from the standpoint that most people don't. And so they fail to recognize the leading of God in so many cases in their life. Now, one of the best ways to know how God's going to lead you is to find out how he won't lead you. And we've already identified some of that. You may not know that we did when we talked about it. But if he's going to lead you by your spirit, that means he's not going to lead you by your thinking. If he's going to lead you by your spirit, he's not going to lead you by your feelings or your body. Yet how many Christians do you know? Hopefully you don't fall into this category anymore. But how many Christians do you know that are going by their own thinking and their feelings? Well, I felt God said this. Well, what in the world does that mean? Tomorrow you're going to feel differently. Very few of us feel the same way tomorrow as we feel today. So you can't trust your feelings when it comes to the leading of God. Nothing wrong with feelings. They're just not a safe guide. Nothing wrong with, with thinking, with good sound thinking, business thinking. There, there are certain areas of, of expertise and experience that we gain in life. It's good to have that knowledge. But folks, there's a greater leading than just what you know, because there's a lot of things that you don't yet know. But God does. So if he's going to lead you by your spirit, that means he's not going to lead you by your mind or your soul. He's not going to lead you by your feelings or your flesh. So we, therefore, have a responsibility, in my thinking at least, we have a responsibility to develop our spirits so that we can discern the voice of God. Now, God places an emphasis on his word. We've talked about the four steps of how to develop in spirit. Step number one, we used uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 for the first two steps. Step number one is to meditate in the word. Step number two is to be a doer of the word. Step number three is Proverbs chapter 4 verses 20 through 22. Put the word first place in your life. And then step number four is instantly obey the voice of your spirit. Because that's where the Holy Ghost lives, is in your spirit. When you're born again, Jesus said your spirit is recreated. Paul said it this way in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Well, what part of him is new? He didn't get a new body. He didn't get a new way of thinking. If he got a new way of thinking, then we wouldn't have to renew our minds to the word after we're saved. That would just be automatic. But it's not, is it? Well, what's new then? We're made new in spirit. We're born again in spirit. God takes the old spirit, the dead spirit, spiritually dead spirit away from us and places a new spirit within us, and then he fills us with himself. He first puts a measure of himself, the Holy Spirit, in in the in our midst or in our spirits at the new birth, and then when we have the experience of being filled with the spirit, then we're filled to overflowing. Same Holy Ghost, two different experiences. But it's all a part of spiritual rebirth and spiritual development. So how's the Holy Ghost going to lead us? He's going to lead us first and foremost through the word. John 16, verse 23, Jesus said about the Holy Ghost, when the comforter has come, he will guide you into all truth. What does he mean by truth? If you go by the world's definition of truth is relative. Well, that's not a new concept. Jesus ran into that when he stood before Pilate. Jesus talked about the truth and Pilate said, well, what is truth? In other words, what's true for you is not true for me. No, we're talking about eternal truth. We're talking about what's true for everybody. Jesus said in John chapter 17 and verse 17 in his prayer to the Father, talking about his disciples, he said, sanctify them, you and me, all those that name Jesus as Lord and Savior, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. 
So if the Holy Ghost is going to guide us into all truth and the Word is truth, then where is He going to guide us? He's going to guide us into the Word. That means very simply this, folks. The Holy Ghost is never going to tell you something or lead you into something or impress you in some way that's contrary to the Word of God. But if you don't know the Word of God, how do you know? That's why putting the Word, making the Word a part of your heart is such an important thing. Now let me tell you how things work historically. Historically, God has, in different times, in different ways, in various applications, various places, various uh, periods of time, has moved by the Holy Ghost. One of the, the earliest ones that we're familiar with is the Azusa Street Revival, 1907. God poured himself out in Azusa Street and people started getting filled with the Holy Ghost. But in every move of God that you can ever find, in, at least in modern day history, we don't have record of too many things before um, before 1900s and, well, some in the 1800s, but, but uh, we've got more detail about some of the more modern uh, moves of God. In every one that we have record of, at least, you can find that when the Holy Ghost started pouring himself out, when the Holy Ghost started moving in some way, whether it was in people being filled with the Spirit, whether it was in healings or miracles or whatever the case was, you'll find that people then take the move of God and assume that it was their actions that brought it about. You'll see some of the goofiest things that came out of the Azusa Street Revival in the world. And and uh, Dad Seymour, black gentleman that was uh, kind of overseeing the thing, not because he was one of the the uh, I think there were seven of them or seven or eight of them that started the thing, but he kind of became the 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 head guy that that oversaw the the services. But there were three or four services going on a day for several years, and so there was nobody that was ever really in charge of anything. There was no uh, there was no scheduled speaker or anything. It was just a sovereign move of God. It was just a move where the Holy Ghost was being poured out and people were being filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And it wasn't a result of anything except this time for God to move. But you see all kinds of things where people started saying, well, it must be because we saw a great move of God when we sang this song. So they'd start singing that song. Or they'd say, well, when, when somebody was doing this over in that part of the service, then that's when God did something special. So let's do that again. And so they took the move of God and they tried to incorporate it into their own experience. And you find that in every situation, every case where the, the Holy Ghost has ever moved in modern days. You got the same thing going on today. You got the charismatic revival in the, in the uh, 60s. What happened with the charismatics? They left the word that the move of God began with and then they tied it into their own experience. Same thing with the latter rain. You had the latter rain in the 70s. Latter rain movement was a move of the Holy Ghost. No question it was a real thing. You had prophecy, you had uh, signs and wonders, you had different things going on, and then all of a sudden the latter rain started saying, well, it's because we are worshiping this way, and tried to get everybody else to worship like they did. And invariably, invariably, this thing always turns out, every move of God in modern day history has always turned out, has always ended with this. It's ended with people trying to give away gifts of the Spirit. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, folks, if we can figure out how the Holy Ghost doesn't move, we can figure out understand and understand more clearly how he does move. In other words, if we can identify things that he won't do, then it makes it easier for us to identify what he will do. First Corinthians chapter 12, here's uh, where it talks about the manifestations of the Spirit. We'll start in verse 7. It said, but the manifestation of the Spirit, notice they're not gifts. They're not all gifts. They're all manifestations. Now, some of the group are gifts, but not all of them. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. 
For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit. In the original, both gifts and healings are in the plural. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh. Thank God they all work. But all these worketh that one in the self-same Spirit... In other words, he's the source of all of these things. Dividing to every man severally. Now notice the last phrase. As he will. Well, if it's as he will, then how can you and I give it away? If it's as he wills, then how can you and I make this happen anytime we want it to happen? You can't. You can't. And see, that's where people make the mistake. Because they leave the word, which God emphasizes more than the move of the Spirit, and they go to experience. They say, well, this happened when this was taking place, so let's do this again. They try to duplicate the experience or they try to create their own identification or their own definition of how things work. And that's where people get off track. Now, folks, you need to understand something about the Spirit of God, and that is this. And, and all we have, to, all we have to, to work from is history. You can find that in everybody, ministries and sovereign moves of God, where God specifically pours himself out at specific times for specific purposes, you can find that those are always windows. The Bible talks about windows of heaven. There are always windows that are for specific times and for specific reasons. In other words, the Holy Ghost does not just move indiscriminately so that God can prove himself to be God. For example, Jesus stood before Herod and Herod said, show me a miracle. Jesus said, no. Well, now, if you're going to prove yourself to anybody, wouldn't a world leader be a good person to prove yourself to? Herod said, I've heard you doing miracles all over the place. I want to see one. Jesus said, I'm not showing you anything. Yet, People in their experience say, well, God will show himself strong. He'll show miracles. I, I was reading something on, uh, online on somebody's uh, website, uh, one of these groups that's, that's having a real move of God. And they're doing the same thing. They're thinking it's all about them. They're thinking it's because they worship this way. They think it's because they've uh, identified themselves and, and operating in this manner or that manner. They think it's all themselves. And I'm, I'm just sitting back and I'm just, uh, I'm just grinning. I'm thinking, you guys better enjoy it because the window's going to close on you. And I personally think, I can't prove this, but you can't disprove it by the Bible either way. I personally think that you can shut that window sooner than it would shut otherwise when you try to take it on yourself. And that's just personal opinion. Because I don't control time. I should be able to, but God's not on board with that yet. So that's just my personal opinion. But I can see the same thing happening. Same thing that happened in the 60s, same thing that happened in the 70s, same thing that happened with the move of God in the 80s and in the 90s. Same thing. People start trying to change the word that brought about the, the, the results that they, they started getting, and now they try to change it to their own experience. They try to tailor it to their own experience. And so I was, uh, I was reading something online the other day, and they were talking about uh, the move of God. They were talking about the things that were happening with themselves. And, uh, and they said, well, when you do this, this makes this take place. You see the same thing with this stuff about fasting. You don't hear so much. I, I don't, haven't heard too much about it lately, but over the last several years, you heard people say, if you'll fast for 40 days, God will cause this to happen. If you'll fast for 45 days, God will cause this other thing to happen. Now, if you just need healing for such and such, then only fast for 20 days or whatever. I don't know what their numbers are. I don't know what the program is. But they got this whole big list. 
And I'm thinking, how in the world do you know that? The Bible sure doesn't say it. Well, people start going outside of what the Bible says. They're way too far out for me. Way too far out. Because, see, God controls these things, folks. You can't give yourself a word from God. But you can be ready when the Spirit of God speaks within. You can be ready when that happens. I'm seeing some of this... uh, uh, I'm seeing some of this, uh, and, and this group, bless their hearts, they're doing a great job. They're they're uh, uh, they're having a real genuine move of God, but they've gotten into turning it into experience, talking about this treasure hunting stuff. You heard about this treasure hunting thing? Well, if you don't know about it, maybe I shouldn't say anything about it. <laughs> I sure don't want to stir anything up with it. Let me read the definition. This is off their website. Let me read you the definition of this treasure hunt. Treasure hunts incorporates the use of words of knowledge in parentheses, clues, that you write on your treasure map to find treasures, parentheses, people, who need a supernatural encounter with God through an encouraging prophetic word or healing. This is not about preaching or arguing with people, but rather giving them a practical demonstration of the goodness of God. Treasure hunts are a great tool for those who have felt intimidated by witnessing to family members, friends, co-workers, and those in the community. Through this fun and easy method, you become empowered with confidence and competence to bring supernatural encounters to people around you. Through treasure hunts, you can become a world changer, transforming your community one encounter at a time. Now, here's how treasure hunts work. You're supposed to pray if you're going to go out witnessing. You're supposed to pray, and God will give you words. They may be colors. Oh, I sense the color blue. Well, that's going to mean something with somebody you're supposed to meet. They may give you, I saw one uh, testimony where they got uh, uh, Mercedes. There are all kinds of different things where people come up with these clues. Well, first of all, where in the world does the Bible talk about treasure hunts? Where in the world does the Bible talk about treasure maps? That's pirate stuff, isn't it? But see, people try to create their own experience out of a move of God. Now, there's no question that the group that's involved with this stuff is having a move of God. No question about it. The window is open. But they think it's what they're doing. Folks, the Spirit of God moves as He wills. Now, if we can learn how these things work on a, on a bigger scale, you can find out how they work on a smaller scale. In other words, if you can see how the, how the Lord moves as far as the body of Christ is concerned, you can identify how He's going to move with you as an individual. So I'm not just trying to criticize. I'm not trying to just make fun uh, of anything. But the but this group uses treasure hunts as the basis for this treasure hunt stuff they use is Acts chapter 9. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 9. They say, well, here's the, here's the scriptural foundation for it. Here's how we know God will do this stuff. Acts chapter 9. Paul, has uh, Paul who is, whose name is Saul at the time, has seen Jesus on the road to Damascus, met with Jesus on the road to Damascus, He's been blinded by the glory of the light, according to his own testimony. And now he's spending those three days without the ability to see. He's gone into the city of Damascus, as the Lord told him to do. And he said, uh, arise, go into the city. I'll tell you what to do there. Now it says, beginning in verse 10, it says, and there was a certain disciple. I want you to notice disciple. It does not say minister. It does not say prophet. It does not say anything other than disciple. God used a believer. And a certain disciple at Damascus, named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And as seen in the vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now, folks, how do you get colors from that? 
And there was a certain disciple named Ananias. And to him the Lord appeared in a vision and said, Ananias, blue. (laughs) Folks, here's my point. The Holy Ghost does not reveal irrelevant information. And see, what happens is so many times people get on the spiritual stuff and they start trying to play with it. I remember John Lake telling the story about one of the greatest experiences, short-term experiences of the power of God that he had. He said there was a power that came down on him, and he was used in, in some tremendous ways. I mean, there was uh, there was an epidemic that happened in South Africa, uh, and the, the uh, nation of South Africa called upon the United States to help because it was a black plague and they couldn't, they couldn't stop it. So the Army Corps of Engineers came over. They started trying to do some things in the Army Medical Corps and different groups like that. Lake was working with, uh, with the sick people in the, in the, the hospitals, the makeshift hospitals and things like that. And the doctors asked him, they said, what, uh, what immunization or inoculation are you using to keep from catching this thing? And he said, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. They said, what? He said, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. They said, what are you talking about? I mean, they're, they're science guys. They're medical guys. They're not thinking spiritual. And so he said, they said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, let me show you. There was, uh, and the way that people would die, there would be this bloody froth stuff that would come out of their mouths. And so there was a corpse laying right over there. Lake went over and got a uh, um, slide, you know, one of those little glass slides you put under a microscope. He got over and he scraped this stuff off of the, the mouth of the corpse. And then he took it and he wiped it over into his hand, wiped it off the slide into his hand, and then put it back on the slide. And he said, now look at it. Well, I guess he, there was two steps to it. He took this off and he said, look under this, look at this under the microscope. They did and it was teeming with germs and all this kind of stuff. And he took the slide off and then wiped it into his hand, wiped it back on the slide and said, now look at it. And they all died. Well, he understood the power of God. He understood the healing power of God. He understood the move of the Holy Ghost. And he said that there was a period of time, short period of time, that the power of God came on him in a stronger way than anything he had ever experienced. He said he would be in services and point at somebody, and he said, I don't know if anybody else saw it, but it would be like lightning shot from my the end of my finger and hit them, and he said people would fall all over the place. He said, I got to playing with it. I don't know what he meant by playing with it, but, you know, it'd be easy to do. Lord, give me that power for just a little bit. That wouldn't be long, just a little bit. I like to zap a few people. He said, I got to playing with it. He said, it was, it was on him for several days, maybe even a week. He said, I, I, got, I start taking it for granted. He said, I got to playing with it. He said, when I began to play with it, it lifted from me. He said, I've been praying ever since for God, give that back to me. Now I know what to do. Now I know how to handle it. He said, I haven't been able to get it back. Folks, God won't play with the supernatural things of uh, the, the things of the spirit. He won't play with you on the spiritual things or supernatural things. He just won't do it. And if you don't have proper respect for supernatural things, then you'll, those things will become indistinct. And that's one reason, in my opinion, that a lot of people don't know the leading of the Holy Ghost in their own spirit is because they don't show proper respect to God. I thought that'd go over real well. I'm convinced of that. I've seen services where people will get to, to doing things, the Holy Ghost will begin to move, and people will get involved in their own stuff. Maybe some people will leave before the service is over. They're getting tired and they're ready to go or whatever, and the Spirit of God will lift. I saw it lift off Brother Hagin time after time after time because people didn't give the proper reverence to the Holy Ghost and His operation in that particular service at that particular time. 
Folks, you don't play with God. Things of God are serious. That's why I know that the Holy Ghost doesn't reveal irrelevant information. He just doesn't do it. Now, look at what happened with Ananias. Ananias was given specific information. He said, go into the certain street, a street called Straight, into the house of Judas. That's pretty distinct, isn't it? And then he said, inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul. He didn't say go to the house and see if anybody needs help. He told him specifically what to do and how to do it and where to go. Now Ananias begins to, he begins to complain about this. He tell, oh, here's another word of knowledge. He said, behold, he prays and he's seen in a vision. Well, how would Ananias know what Paul's seen in a vision? Except the Holy Ghost tells him. So he said, he's seen in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him and uh, that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias begins to argue with the Lord. He said, Lord, I've heard a lot of things about this guy. He's persecuted the saints in Jerusalem, and now he's got letters where he can come bind here in Damascus all those that call upon your name. But the Lord speaks to him again. He says, arise, go your way. Verse 15, for he's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So what does Ananias do? Ananias obeys the Lord, does what he tells him to do, and it brings fruit. Now, here's the thing. You can always judge what the Holy Ghost is doing, whether or not it's really him by the fruit that it produces. That's one of the problems I've got with this treasure hunting thing because they don't claim that the that the information you're supposed to get from the Lord, even a word of knowledge, will bring forth fruit other than this person will have an encounter with God. Well, shouldn't an encounter to God with God make somebody change a, make a change in their life? Otherwise, what's the point in having an encounter with God? You could go have an encounter with nature and realize that God made it. You could go look at the sunset and say, wow, isn't this a beautiful sunset? God had to have created this. Well, that's an encounter with God, but that doesn't change your life. Jesus is in the life-changing business. The Holy Ghost is our helper to do the works of Jesus. And Jesus changed people's lives. Jesus didn't play with things. So Ananias goes and notice the fruit that it produced. Ananias says, or he goes in verse 17, Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. Must mean that he knows Saul is saved, doesn't it? You wouldn't call it a sinner's brother, would you? Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto you in the way as you came has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Now, here's an interesting thing. There's not a word about what Jesus told him concerning the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yet Ananias goes, lays hands on him to receive his sight, for Paul to receive his sight and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Where did he get that? Either Ananias added that on his own, knowing that that's something that Paul needed, which would have been okay, or the Lord spoke additionally to him about it between the time that he had the vision and when he got to Saul. Either way is okay with me. I don't care. Because it's always the fruit that the Holy Ghost produces. You can know that this was the Holy Ghost in action because of the fruit that it produced. Now, another thing that I noticed on this website, and I don't mean to be picking on these guys. That's not what I'm telling you. Who the, that's why I'm not telling you who they are. Because I'm not criticizing anybody. 
I just see the same things happening that have happened in every move of God that we have record of. Another thing that I recognize on their website is that they identify that that uh, not only is it necessary to get people saved, it can be a help, but it's not necessary to get people saved. But uh, but it's it's this um, it belongs to everybody thing. Well, didn't we just read that it, the Spirit of God moves as He wills? Now let me give you a let me give you a contrast. Let me give you something that that produces fruit that that. Uh, uh, that you can see the difference in. You've heard me talk about Smith Wigglesworth. Many of you are familiar with Smith Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth raised from the dead over 22 people in his ministry. Now there's a, there's a discrepancy about whether it's 22 or 27. Don't you just hate when they can't get the numbers right? So we're not sure if he raised 22 people from the dead or if it was 27 people from the dead. I mean, if it's just 22, we can't trust him at all. You know? What does he know? So anyway, he's had uh, he's had a, a, a miraculous experience with the power of God throughout his ministry. Now he was a soul winner. Every day of his life, he would dedicate himself to win somebody to the Lord. And here's how he did it: He lived in England, and this was you know cart and buggy type days, horse and wagon type days, when uh, Wigglesworth was alive. And so he went to one of the major crossroads. And on one of these crossroads, there was a little bench there that was uh, that he would go and sit in. And he said he would sit there until the Lord would impress upon him who to talk to. He didn't just go try to preach on the streets. Now, this is a guy that was world-renowned. This was a guy that everybody knew. Yet he would sit there and wait for God to tell him, who is the one that you want me to minister to? And he said that there would be times where the Lord would impress upon him to speak to somebody. One guy, he jumped up into his wagon as he was going down the road. Talked to him. The guy tried to get him to get off the wagon. He wouldn't listen to him because he knew that God had told him, you're the one. So he talked to him, began to speak to him, got him saved. The next day he was killed in some kind of accident on the job. So this was something that he did for every day for years. He said he never went one day without getting somebody saved. But he did it the same way all the time, and that was he placed himself in a, in a position where people were coming and going, and he let the Holy Spirit lead him about who's the one to talk to. Just an inward witness, just an inward impression, Never, in, according to his testimony, never anything more, never telling him this is the situation with this guy, this is the problem, go minister to this person about this. He just had a witness, that's the one. He said sometimes there'd be as many as five or ten people that he'd get saved. Sometimes it was just one person. And in the case of this guy that he jumped up in the wagon, he'd been sitting there all day, hours upon hours and upon hours, ready to go home. And finally the Lord impressed upon him that guy, and so he jumped up in the wagon. Never went a day without getting somebody saved. But he was led by the Spirit. Now you can you can trust that because it bore fruit. Jesus said, I've called you. I've appointed you. Talking to his disciples, he said, I've appointed you to bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. So anything the Holy Ghost brings to us should bear fruit. Not just some spooky Twilight Zone stuff. The Lord spoke to me. You can always see it in some people's eyes. The Lord spoke to me. You think, yeah, here it comes. And it rarely has anything to do with the word. And then here's where people get off track where revelations are concerned because they leave the word because they think God's spoken to them about something. 
Folks, every one of these manifestations of the Spirit has a public side and a private side. Or a public side and a personal side. Every one of them. There are nine manifestations of the Spirit that are identified in 1 Corinthians 12. Three of them reveal something. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. Well, that's the public side. But the private side is the Lord will show you things to come. The Holy Ghost will show you things to come. So there's nothing that a public manifestation of the Spirit will produce that you can't get from God as the Spirit of God chooses to reveal it. Three of those manifestations say something. Prophecy, diverse signs of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Well, can't we all speak with tongues? Didn't Paul say that we could all prophesy? Well, sure, there's a public side, a message for everybody's benefit, and a private side where you can speak to edify your own spirit, your own self. Three of them do something. Three of them are power gifts. Working of miracles, gifts of healings, and special faith. But there is no gift of healing that will produce a result that you can't believe for on your own just based on the word. There's no result that special faith will bring in a public context that you can't receive on your own individual faith just by standing on the Word. There's no miracle that can be produced by a move of the Spirit that you can't believe God for just because the Bible says you can't. So there's a public side and a personal side to all of these things. But you can't turn them on and off. I've had experience... Well, let me show you... um, Let me show you what I'm talking about Last Sunday night, how many of you were here last Sunday night during Super Bowl? Okay, some of you were. Some of you don't want to admit you weren't, do you? I made a joke. If you weren't here, I made a joke. I stood up uh, after praise and worship. I stood up, and the first thing I said is, folks, we've got a newsflash. It's 34 to 31. Well, I had people looking around. I had some people do it that were recording the game on TV going, I ruined their whole thing. Well, I didn't say who. I didn't say anything. I just pulled out numbers. Now, I was making a joke, and I told everybody it was just a big joke. Thanks for being here and all that kind of stuff. Well, the final score was 34-31. I have had so many people calling me this week saying, Pastor Mike, did you know something? I've had requests for the next year's score. What did that mean? You, you can hear people's voice. Did that mean something? Did God show you that? Well, so many times, and, and I see this. I see this in people's testimonies. Things like that will happen, and people will, will, will draw attention to it. to say, look at what God did. Folks, I had no intention of doing anything except making a joke, and it was a spur-of-the-moment joke. I wasn't planning numbers. I got up and, and those numbers just jumped out. Now, did I have an inkling in my spirit about something? I, maybe. I don't know. If so, I wasn't aware of it. But now here's how you could do it. I could turn this around saying, now I didn't know what I was doing, but look how God uses me. <laughs> now, you think I'm kidding. I'm not. That's what a lot of people do. Because the Bible says that the Holy Ghost will draw attention to Jesus, not the person he's using. And you could spin this. And, oh, folks, there's all kinds of ways you can market this stuff. Look at what God did with me. And that's what's so often happening with this thing when the Holy Ghost begins to move. Now, folks, we're, we're coming into a day where the Holy Ghost is going to move regularly in spectacular ways. And I want you to be prepared for it. And we're never going to turn one thing into our own experience. 
Not one of them. But if you're not prepared, if you don't know these things, then you get sucked into it. And young people, uh, young people are always the ones that get sucked into this stuff. Because young people are more interested in the show than they are the development of character. It's a sign of immaturity. And so you young people, if you want to get sucked into that, that's fine. But don't try to teach somebody else. I'm trying to teach them to act on the word. <laughs> Development of character takes time. And it's very rarely involved with a show. There's not a whole lot of great feelings when it comes to developing in character. No, we want to go do something that's exciting. Okay. That excitement will wear off. And here's what happens so often in those moves of God. When young people do get caught up into things, when the show ends... They have no foundation and so they scatter. But there's one way that always works. Can I show it to you? Mark chapter 16. One way always works. After Jesus is raised from the dead... He gives his last instructions to the disciples. Verse 15, he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them to believe. Everybody say signs. God expects you to have signs in your life. Supernatural signs. In other words, fruit. This is the kind of fruit that will follow those that believe. Now, I can tell you right, right off the bat, without going any further, here's why a lot of people don't have fruit in their lives. Because they don't believe in His name. He said these signs, this fruit, this remaining fruit that Jesus said He called us to do, to produce, He said this remaining fruit will follow those that believe in My name. Well, why don't believers believe in His name? Because they don't have knowledge of the Word. Now, when I say knowledge of the Word, I don't mean they haven't heard it. With some people, they've heard it and they rejected it. They rejected the truth of healing. They rejected the truth of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So that's what I mean when I say they haven't heard it. That means they haven't accepted it. They haven't embraced the truth. Well, if you don't believe in healing, you're not going to have healing results. But these signs will follow them that believe in my name. Can I ask you a question? What other religion has fruit like this? What other religion, what other doctrine, what other worldview, God view, whatever, I don't know the proper politically correct way to say it, what other belief produces supernatural fruit like this? Does Islam? Does Buddhism? Hinduism? Confucianism? Any other ism? I don't even know what they all are. Secularism. Anything else produce this? Humanism, whatever. I, I'm sorry, I don't try to keep up with everything else. Does, is anything else produce supernatural results? Everything else is about you attaining something. You trying to work yourself into some way to attain something. Folks, Jesus either told us the truth or he lied. There is no middle ground. And Jesus said he's the only way. I'm sorry, that's what he said. So he's either the only way or he's the biggest liar in the world. This gospel according to Oprah that all roads lead to God, that's ridiculous. We were driving to church today and we saw one of those coexist stickers on somebody's windshield. Oh boy, that just blesses me. 
however many other ways that those things represent will all take you to hell except one. And if you treat them as all equal, they'll still take you to hell. But notice what supernatural fruit results from believing in the name of Jesus. Show me supernatural fruit that results in believing in in Muhammad. Murder? These signs shall follow them to believe in my name. Number one, they shall cast out devils. Number two, they shall speak with new tongues. Number three, they shall take up serpents. That means divine protection, authority over the devil. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. That's number four. And number five, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Here's supernatural fruit, supernatural signs, supernatural results that follow those that believe in the name of Jesus. Now, the implication is very simple and very clear. And that is, if you believe in the name of Jesus, you'll do this stuff. If you really believe in the name of Jesus, if you believe this power over the power of the devil, over this power of sickness and so forth, you'll do this stuff. He, the, the implication is Jesus assumes that if you believe in my name, if you believe that I told you the truth, here's what you'll do. These are guys that have been doing it with him for three years. He assumes they'll continue to do it. He assumed that we would follow the same pattern. So he said, these are the signs. Power over the devil, power over sickness, divine protection, speaking with new tongues, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, in other words. It says in verse 19, So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Verse 20 is the one I want you to see. And they went forth and preached everywhere. Well, he told them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. Notice the word them is in italics, if you're reading from the King James. That means the translators added it. It does not say he's working with them. It says he's working with and confirming the word with signs following. In other words, these signs will always follow the word. Manifestations of the Spirit will always follow the word. Not as we will, as he wills. Now, folks, there are some times that we can, uh, there are many windows. You know, windows are different sizes. Some windows are small, some windows are big. I think it's that way with God. There have been times where I've come back from the mission field, for example, and and, and had a, a real strong anointing. The first time I went to Peru, I had a real strong anointing down there. There was some tremendous things that happened back happened down there. And for the first two days when I got back, every time my phone rang, I knew who it was. I got to thinking, man, this is great. I'll never have to pick up another prank call for the rest of my life. I started taking it for granted. And it waned. It wore off. There are still times where I'll know. I'll come to the office and I'll have an appointment with somebody and I'll know exactly what they want to talk about and what I need to tell them. In fact, most of the time, if I have an appointment with somebody, if I don't know, have some kind of witness on the inside, I'm not talking about God telling me, I'm not talking about a word of knowledge, I'm talking about just an inward witness. If I don't have an inward witness, what it's about, usually it's somebody that just wants to sit down and talk. Those are my favorite. There's really no purpose to it, they just want to talk, they just want to tell me something. So there are witnesses that we'll get in our spirit, but they always bear fruit. That's the way I minister. I get a witness in my heart about what to minister and why, in some cases why, because of people that are going to be there. 
Other times I'll have a witness to minister something and I have no reason, I have no way to know. I have no uh, inkling of why I'm going this direction. Sometimes in the middle of my ministry, uh, you know, ministering or preaching the word, whatever it is, teaching, whatever you want to call what I do. Sometimes in the middle of that, I'll be impressed to take a rabbit trail and the rabbit trail becomes more important than the main line. Well, I don't always know what that's about, but it's a witness on the inside. It's just a witness. It's just something that you have an impression on the inside. Now, folks, the most important things that I've ever made, the, mo- the most important decisions I've ever made in my life have all been by the inward witness. Now, some of those decisions, I wish it had been more. I mean, they were so important, I wish they'd been more. But it's always by the inward witness. It seems like, and this is just human reasoning, but it seems like if you're coming up on something that could change your life, affect your life to the negative, God would give you something more than just an inward witness to make sure you didn't make the wrong decision. Wouldn't that make sense? Well, good luck with that. Because it's still going to be by the inward witness. You're going to make the decisions that affect your life based on that inward witness. What are we going to do if we don't know anything about the inward witness? We're left up to human reasoning. Thank God we've got something more solid than that. Verse 20 again of Mark chapter 16. And the Lord, they went everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. Confirming the word with signs following. It's the word that the Holy Ghost always works with. Always. Always, always, always. Folks, the word of God is the single most important thing that there is. And any move of God that God plans for the last days, and he said the glory of the latter day house will be greater than the former. Well, if you want to see the former, all you got to do is look at the beginning of the book of Acts. And they had signs and wonders and miracles happening on a regular basis. God said that the glory of the latter day house will be greater than that. I have to assume that means we'll have at least an equal sampling of signs and wonders and miracles in the last days that they had in the beginning. Otherwise, how could you possibly say it was greater? has to be at least as much. In my thinking, it needs to be greater. But it has to be at least as much. Well, what's going to make the difference for us with the last day move of God and all the other things, all the other windows where God has poured himself out in different ways and different periods? There's only one thing that can, and that is a solid foundation of the word of God so that we know that we know that we know here's, here's what it is. Here's what God's doing. Here's why he's doing it. It's not us. We don't have to share the glory with the Lord, or he doesn't have to share the glory with us, which, by the way, he really won't do. It's not about the people he's using. It's about who's doing the job, which is the Holy Ghost. But we need to be skilled in that. We need to be acquainted with that. We need to know how to follow the inward witness. We need to know. Uh, Folks, I've got some things... And a lot of times, I think a lot of times we make a mistake when when the Lord see, shows us something or we think he's showing us something, we jump right out there and try to do it. One of the things on this website that uh, that really caught my attention is they said, if you're going to have any success in this treasure hunting stuff and words of knowledge and all that stuff, you've got to be ready to take a risk. Well, what does that mean? They go on to explain. You've got to be willing to jump at the slightest thing and, and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, well, they're setting you up for... Making all kinds of mistakes and losing your credibility, aren't they? One of the scriptures that's always impressed upon me, one of the things that the Lord spoke to me about early on, was from 1 Samuel chapter 3. 
First Samuel chapter 3 tells the story about when Samuel, you remember the story, Hannah, his mother, couldn't have a child. She went to the temple and uh, she was moving her lips, but she wasn't making any noise. And uh, Eli thought that uh, the Eli was the priest. He thought she was drunk, so he started reprimanding her. She said, no, 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 I can't have a child. And so this is why I'm here. I'm pouring out my heart to God. He just prays some kind of short prayer over and she has a child. Well, she brings that child Samuel back to the temple for Eli to raise. Not necessarily the best thing to do. He wasn't such a great father. But God was in it. And so uh, uh, Samuel starts getting a little older, and the Lord speaks to him in the night. But he thought, he heard it like it was Samuel's voice, or, or Eli's voice. So he runs to Eli and says, yeah, I'm here. What do you want? He said, what are you talking about? I heard you call me. He said, I didn't call you. Happened three times. And finally, Eli said, well, maybe it's God talking to him. So here's what you do. Next time you hear the voice, say, here am I, Lord. And so that's what happens. He hears the voice the next time, calling his name. And so he's laying in bed, said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord starts talking to him. Verse 19 of chapter 3. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 19 says this. It says, and Samuel grew, he began to grow, and the Lord was with him, and he did not let any of his words fall to the ground. That was one of the things that Samuel took upon himself. It's not God kept his words from falling to the ground. It's Samuel that guarded himself and only said what God told him to say. That was something that always impressed me, even in Bible school. I didn't want to be one of these people that's going around saying, God said this, God said that, and has a 50-50 record. What kind of credibility can you have with people when you say, God told me this, if the last thing you told them God said didn't work? How's that ever going to happen? How's that ever going to work out right? I'm not willing to do that. That's why I'm going to be careful about what I say. That's why I'm going to take time to learn the Word and learn the voice of the Holy Spirit so that when I do say something, people that, that know me and know my character, know my track record, have confidence in me. Otherwise, why would God use me? Why wouldn't He use somebody that, that people do have confidence in? You see what I mean? So this take a risk, just jump out there, take a chance. Really? Seriously? What is that going to produce? I just can't see it. But the thing that always works is the Lord works with and confirms his word with signs following. Amen? Amen. Amen.